Hello, and welcome again to the Here and Now podcast. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist at Federated Hermes. And today, I'm joined by Martin Schultz, Managing Director of International Equity. Hello, Martin. Hi, Linda. Uh, just to get started here, international, do you believe that investors should increase their international allocation in the current environment? That's a great question, Linda. Um, obviously, the international stock markets go in cycles relative to the U.S., and the U.S. had a very strong run the last few years. We've obviously had a situation in which we've had dollar strength, which has been coupled uh, or, I guess, provided by uh, the uh, China trade war situation. It's been helped by uh, the corporate tax cut we had a little over two years ago, uh, and it's been provided by the uh, uh, probably the the focus on the strength and the uh, of the U.S. economy, and we've seen this in years past. And so we usually see a five, seven, eight-year cycle. And in fact, we were expecting the U.S. dollar to weaken uh, about two or three years ago. But uh, with the corporate tax cuts, with some other factors like the China trade tariff situation, um, the dollar remains stronger. And so what that meant, obviously, is that particularly the emerging markets, but international markets in general, underperformed the U.S. Now, we think we're at some point, we're at a cusp, uh, we're at that inflection point, and things will change. Um, we don't know when that's going to happen, but we're definitely getting closer to that end point. To where the dollar is likely to weaken. And a U.S. outperformance will likely end. And again, if you look at uh, when we first started uh, uh, our fund, for example, in the late 90s, um, it was a time in which, uh, obviously, the Fed was talking about exuberance. It was, talking, it was basically the NASDAQ bubble. Um, the U.S. was the focal point for most uh, global investors, and that obviously changed in the next decade. Uh, and particularly, the emerging markets did very, very well from 2001 through 2011. And so we don't expect that same uh, kind of retraction to happen, but we do expect that uh, international will start to outperform relative to the U.S. Yeah, and you did mention that uh, the U.S. economy has done better than some of the others, and I wonder if valuations have really come down relative to history enough where it's worth looking outside the United States when we're thinking maybe, they, maybe they're having soft landings instead of recessions that we were all worried about last year. Now, you bring up a very good point, Linda, in terms of valuations. Um, long-term international rel relative to the U.S. valuations have been lower, um, but at the same time, we've seen cycles where they've gotten closer. And so, um, the, uh, particularly in Europe right now, which is the majority, if you will, of international investment outside the U.S. and developed market side, uh, has been very weak. Uh, that's primarily been because uh, the China trade war has affected Germany in, in specific, but also the automobile industry, which is affecting Germany. And so Europe is obviously has Brexit issues. It has some other factors involved, demographic uh, headwinds. Um, but we feel now with the euro at a much more competitive level, uh, and where we're starting to see PMIs globally start to bottom and start to uh, rebound, we actually see uh, that these more open economies such as Sweden, Germany, and the emerging markets in general will likely outperform. Okay, well, let's now look at emerging markets. Uh, they've been underperforming for the, for the past decade. Is it finally their turn in 2020? And what is your longer-term outlook for emerging markets? So long-term emerging markets were very, very constructive. Um, emerging markets obviously have demographic uh, tailwinds. They've got uh, some growth tailwinds. Um, they have consumption tailwinds. And if you think about uh, the emerging markets the last few years, you know, we th think of them as the BRICS, if you will, uh, Jim O'Neill's um, kind of uh, view of uh, a name for gave it to about 20 years ago. And in those BRICS, you had a situation in which you had obviously Brazil and Russia being more commodity-based. 
And then India and China being much more consumption-based and more service-oriented. And we do see that dichotomy continuing. And so we are more constructive on the Indias and the Chinas long-term, Parts, partly because of uh, demographics. Obviously, uh, Brazil is an outlier there because we also are very, uh, very favorable towards Brazil equities as well. But at the end of the day, um, this big shift from commodity producers to actual consumption stories is, is something we're starting to see. And so, you know, for the longest time, China was a market in which foreign direct investment was a big factor. Uh, and obviously, manufacturing and exporting was, was, was a big factor. We're starting to see that that change. I can tell you, I've been going to China for over 25 years. And for many years, going to China meant buying some very good, cheap, um, whether it's closing, clothing, or you could obviously export, whether it's Apple phones or other things to the US and elsewhere. Uh, that's now changed. When you go to China, the prices are um, higher because obviously wages have increased the levels that are much more competitive. And so you're starting to see actual interest in places like Vietnam. And so as, a, as we look at the emerging markets, we're looking at those markets that have um, the ability to grow, uh, that have demographic uh, tailwinds. And so places like Vietnam, for example, are places where we've started to invest the last few years. But specifically, you know, we use a top-down country allocation approach. And we've noticed more recently that it's telling us to get out of the developed markets. So we're talking about Europe, Japan, where we've been overweight Japan for the last uh, eight or nine years, and start to look at uh, the MENA region, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. Okay. Well, now let's talk about styles. Growth has outperformed value for most of the past 10 years. Is it finally value's turn? And if not, what environment does value need in order to outperform again? Yeah, value has obviously underperformed the last 10 years. I think part of that has to do with the central bank uh, use of quantitative easing and providing liquidity that's out there. You could also argue that uh, value is underperformed because in such a low growth environment, everyone is looking for uh, growth. Um, and so uh, that has not worked. Um, I've obviously been in this business for a long, long time. If, you, if I were to tell you right now that, no, this is, is, is something's going to change, uh, then that's, that's not the case. So we do think that value will return. Uh, the question is when. And uh, we are st starting to see, obviously, we talked about the U.S. earlier relative to the international markets. Uh, the U.S. fangs, uh, those uh, basically larger cap growth-oriented internet companies are doing very well. Those same companies, uh, ex-U.S., are also doing well. But that bubble, if there is one, I should say, if, if those uh, stocks do uh, lead into a bubble like we uh, learned in the late 90s with the NASDAQ, the internet bubble, then that may be a trigger point. Uh, so we can never say for certain what the trigger point will be. But at the end of the day, right now, uh, people are searching, investors are searching for growth. And the way they get that is through uh, some of the growth investors. But, you know, I, I do feel that this big shift that we're seeing uh, from commodity-oriented and to consumer, you know, if you think of the ESG space, for example, you know, by, by luck or by, by hook, we, we were in a situation where we're tech heavy and healthcare heavy and not materials heavy and not um, heavy in those markets or in, I should say in those sectors that may obviously be underperforming relative to the long term. Mm -hmm. So still a growth regime. We believe so. Uh, and you, you mentioned you, you like emerging markets, but can we drill down a little bit more and talk about what particular countries or regions that you're seeing some of the best opportunities for this year? Okay. So we did mention, obviously, that uh, our model is asking us to um, take some exposure out of EMU Europe, to say, take some exposure out of um, uh, Japan. But specifically, what we're looking for are countries such as Egypt, 
uh, where the balance of payments has become very positive. Um, we believe also the cycle is turning. Uh, banks are doing very well, and we have uh, a few um, investments in those arenas and in those markets. Uh, so uh, the uh, Middle East is a place we've been looking. Um, also Africa, um, in places like Kenya, uh, we're starting to see some very interesting uh, potential. And then really uh, recently, uh, Latin America and Southeast Asia is probably the t- are the two areas we're looking. So specifically, I mentioned earlier Vietnam. You know, this is a market that's going to benefit from uh, the uh, acceleration of the um, the move out of China into more uh, you know, markets that are lower wage uh, levels. And so that would be Bangladesh as well. So we've looked at uh, hunted and pecked around in Bangladesh as well. But I'd say Vietnam is interesting. Um, Singapore also, which obviously is a developed market, but is also one that is looking interesting to some degree. And then finally, Taiwan. You know, we're starting to see 5G be a big factor this year. And in meetings with uh, 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 corporate officials at CES this year, um, you know, it became apparent to me that the 5G trend is, is happening much faster. And so Taiwan and some of the outsourcers are going to be the big beneficiaries there. Well, those are some very interesting countries that many of us don't have much knowledge of. And it seems everybody's talking about China, the second largest economy in the whole world. I noticed you didn't really mention that one at all. Uh, steering clear while they go through their numerous issues? No, we think actually China does have some long-term uh, opportunities, and we've been invested there for a long, long time. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been uh, going to China since 1987, so I've seen a lot of the changes over time. And um, our view right now in the emerging markets portfolios, for example, we are slightly overweight China, in fact. And within our um, Acquiex U.S. portfolio, we are also uh, slightly overweight China. And the way we've approached China is really by looking at those companies that have long-term structural growth, uh, that are involved, for example, in the internet space, consumption space, uh, but then also companies in the insurance space, for example, that are seeing uh, markets uh, basically benefit from a long-term trend towards uh, the uh, Chinese consumer becoming much more interested in insurance and that sort of thing. So we've seen massive growth um, on both the insurance and the consumption side, but we're staying away from the exporters and some of the companies that we feel longer term may have some issues and obviously some debt. Okay, we've talked areas of the world, we've talked styles, now let's talk about sectors. Do you have any preferred sectors for international equity investing this year? So um, by custom, we are overweight technology and healthcare by way of our process and philosophy, and so that's where we generally do find some of our best ideas. Um, so we will continue to look within technology and healthcare, and particularly in the healthcare space, we're finding opportunities in biotech in Europe, but then also on the devices and the medical device side uh, really throughout the world. And so even the emerging markets where emerging markets have a very low uh, kind of exposure to uh, the healthcare sector, we're actually uh, fairly largely overweight to that sector. And we'll continue to believe that particularly places like China where they're long term as the Chinese um, uh, economy and I should say the demographics start to, you know, 2015 was basically the peak of the, uh, of the, uh, of the employment cycle. And so we're expecting that uh, healthcare is a place to look. And then finally, consumption. You know, the one place as we travel around the world and our team visits, uh, you know, a thousand companies a year, generally speaking, uh, we are starting to see that consumption is strong everywhere, regardless of where you go, whether it's in Thailand, whether it's in Switzerland, whether it's in Germany, even where manufacturing is weak, we are starting to see, starting to see continued consumption strength. And so some of the consumption companies, uh, we definitely see the discretionary consumption companies will continue to buy and, and uh, invest in. So good positive outlook for international investing going into 2020. Uh, one final question then, if I may. 
What are some of the risks that concern you, which could derail a bullish outcome for international investing? Well, you know, Linda, there's always risk out there. And so uh, we keep our uh, kind of finger on the pulse and we're meeting not just obviously with company management, but also with um, the central banks and other uh, government entities around the world. Um, and so probably the two biggest potential um, uh, kind of concerns for us would be a very, very strong dollar. And that would mean, obviously, a flight to safety to some degree. And then um, also, and somewhat related, a very high inflation rate. Um, but, you know, we've been doing this for 23-plus years, and we've seen the different cycles. When we first started uh, our um, strategy, for example, it was in the throes of the Asian um, economic crisis. Um, and so we've uh, learned to, uh, to really view risk as something we really put uh, emphasis on and make sure that we're looking at companies and countries that have low valuations but grow but then have the least amount of risk. So despite a lot of, obviously, risk events that uh, occur generally throughout the different cycles over the many years, again, we've been doing this for 20-plus years. Uh, we've seen wars. We've seen geopolitical events. We've seen elections, populism, viral um, SARS, for example, in 2003. Um, those events are one-time events, and we were invested in those markets that are undervalued, have the least amount of risk, and have the growth that we're looking for for the long term. Thank you, Martin. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to you joining us again on the Federated Hermes Here and Now podcast. Views are as of February 5th, 2020, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. International investing involves special risks, including currency risk, increased volatility, political risks, and differences in auditing and other financial standards. Prices of emerging market securities can be significantly more volatile than the prices of securities in developed countries, and currency risk and political risks are accentuated in emerging markets. Due to their relatively high valuations, growth stocks are typically more volatile than value stocks. Value stocks may lag growth stocks in performance, particularly in late stages of a market advance. Federated Global Investment Management Corp. 20 one zero zero one four two twenty.